Ladies and gentlemen, this is FM 91. W-E-G-L-O-B-E-N. Good morning, everyone. Hello, Auburn, and welcome to another exciting episode of Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM, Auburn's premier home for student-run radio since 1971. That's the big 91 WEGL. I'm your host, Jack Hart, alongside my color man, Davis Carroll, and the incomparable Alex Houston, co-sports director here at Weagle. We'd like to welcome in our listeners and viewers from across the Auburn, Opelika, Megaplex, and around the world, however you may be joining us. Today, whether that be on your terrestrial radio antenna through the information superhighway at WEGLFM.com or tuning in after the fact by listening to our podcast or watching us on Eagle Eye TV, we are happy to have you here in the booth with us for Auburn's only student-run drive-time morning show. And of course, as always, we are broadcasting live from the bradley Basden WEGL studios in the bowels of the Harold Melton Student Center on the campus of Auburn University, where it is a... You know, a nice autumnal 64 degrees outside this fine Monday morning. It is Compact Discourse. We wish you a most sincere buenos dias, good morgen, bon matinee, or a good old-fashioned American good morning as we get on with the show for an armchair quarterback special as there is all kinds of sports to break down over the past four days where we have not been able to talk to you since we left for fall break last Wednesday. So I will start things off with Davis. How are you feeling on this fine Monday morning. Is it good to be back? And is it good to, uh, you know, have a nice fall break? I feel completely recharged. Yeah, you know, uh, fall break is pretty refreshing. Had some time off from school. Uh, had some good sleep last night. I'd say so. Had some good sleep overall throughout the break. Do have a busy day ahead of me. Uh, but I had fall breaks uh, this past few days. It's okay. That's good to hear, and uh, it's good that it was a restful as intended fall break, and I hope you managed to squeeze in some fun as well along with all the rest. So I'll throw it over to Alex. Did you have an equally restful or equally fun fall break? Anything to report there? I had a pretty good fall break. My family uh, came into town this weekend, which was pretty great. It was otherwise ruined by football, but other than that, a pretty great weekend overall and a very enjoyable rest after a lot of midterms. I had, to think, three in like the final four days of school, and I've got another one tomorrow, but... Doing pretty good, all things considered. Yes, and football does tend to throw a pebble in your shoe when it comes to this kind of thing. Of course, the fourth member of our Monday Monday cadre, Daniel Locke, not able to join us today. He is heading over to Truist Park to watch the Atlanta Braves in their playoff game, which was moved up to a 3 p.m. first pitch. So Daniel, unable to join us today, but I know he wants to be here. So we'll be thinking about Daniel as he makes uh, safe travel over to Atlanta to hopefully watch the Braves get a big win in Game 3 of their playoff series against the Milwaukee Brewers. So plenty to get to, including a playoff baseball coming up later in the show. But of course, we're going to spend the first hour on college football. Of course, at this point, I would like to remind our audience that if at any point in the next two hours you feel so inclined to ask us a question, drop a hot take, or in the highly unlikely event that we get something wrong, if you'd like to correct us, you can go ahead and call in at 334 334- 844-9345. That's 334-844-9345. However, I don't appear, it doesn't appear that our phone is working 
100% properly, so it might be a better shot to send us a tweet at CDISCAU. That's at C-D-I-S-C-A-U, and we will be sure to get back to you with whatever inquiry you may have on this Monday morning. Good news is the rain has stopped. Weather report coming up later in the show, so stay tuned for that. But I think it would be a disservice to us all if we did not jump directly in to the main event for today, and that is, of course, talking a huge weekend of college football, including plenty of upsets. So we'll do your scoreboard after the first break, but I just want your initial reactions. What's the first thing that pops into your mind after an exciting weekend of college football on the plains and you know around the entire country as I think all five major conferences had something of note go down? Well, naturally, as an Auburn fan, my you know, my mind immediately jumps to that game. But overall, I mean, you've got Alabama losing to Texas A&M. And specifically, the way the AP poll has worked so far this season has been kind of garbage. Alabama loses to an unranked team that lost Mississippi State and drops only four spots down to fifth. Very strange, uh, in my opinion. Meanwhile, BYU lost uh, to an unranked team and dropped nine spots. Now, Texas A&M, in my opinion, I think might have been worse than the team BYU played. I don't remember who BYU played in general, but... I mean, specifically that game, because I don't think anybody expected Nick Saban and Alabama to lose that, considering he is he had never lost to any assistance up until that point. Now he has, of course. He's 24-1, and I think. And that was the first time they'd lost to an unranked opponent since 2007, his first year, when they lost to Louisiana Monroe. So, yeah, that was kind of the biggest thing for me. Davis? Well, Alex stole my biggest thing. I mean, uh-huh. like, across the country, I don't really – I mean, I guess if you're up, like, up north, you don't really care about Bama. But, like, if you care about college football, the number one team just got taken down by a backup QB in College Station. That's pretty big news. I mean, just for anybody that likes football, it was a good game overall. It got a little sh- uh, shaky near the, near the end there. I thought Texas A&M was not going to be able to pull it out. But, you know, hey, it all worked out in the end. Alabama lost. And even at it, since Alabama lost, I was a little happier that night. Mm. It may, yeah, it made things a little a little better after uh, Auburn suffered a demoralizing defeat at the hands of the number two Georgia Bulldogs, who came into Jordan Hare Stadium and uh, qu- uh, quickly ran away with things in the second half. But I think it was a spirited effort put up by the Auburn Tigers and an expected performance. I wasn't entirely disappointed with with the showing that Auburn put on of course I was we can talk about the uh the missed opportunities but I think all things considered the performance they put on against you know now the now number one team in the country is is uh better than I think myself and most people would have expected you're better than I am then all right Alex let it let it fly I will say I had three positives coming out of this game I will uh before we get going of course number two Georgia if uh, you somehow haven't heard the news, did defeat Auburn on Saturday by a tally of 34-10. to Stetson Bennett did play the majority of the game at quarterback for Georgia. He was 14 of 21 for 231 yards and two passing touchdowns. Samir White was your leading rusher. He had 18 for 79 and two tutties to boot. And then, of course, Lad McConkey with that big receiving touchdown. He had five for a buck 35 in the air. I had three pauses coming out of this game. Number one, uh... We got the band full entrance going through the tunnel. I was not expecting that. Very exciting. Yes, welcome uh, back. Welcome very, back, very, Auburn very, Marching very Band. Very exciting for that. Uh, always loved that entrance. Number two, you guys were on the Jumbotron a lot. That was cool. My, dad, my dad was texting me every time you guys were on there. 
My mom could not believe it. We we said it was Davis's fro that drew the attention. I'm not sure. Yeah, it might have been uh, the uh, uh, the empty seats around us that drew a little attention. Ah, and yes. we, we were still dancing when everybody else around us was sitting. Yeah, it, yeah. That, I guarantee this would have worked. Y'all, y'all, y'all's was energy a, was was respected. A bit of a tough scene, but I think I think I'll I'll save my comments on that. And for then later. Uh, Tank's touchdown was awesome and very much proving why he's deserving of the name. As for that, that's pretty much all I got. I don't really have anything else to say other than I think the uh, wide receivers should get together and they should draft up a letter to the NCAA thanking them for the creation of the NIL because not a single one of them is going to make a dollar in the NFL at this point. I I mean, it's it's getting ridiculous at this point. Like, this is not, this is not me, the fan, being angry about this. The fact that there are seven drops in a game, all and most of them where I think first down passes, is ridiculous and completely changed the game. That's the thing is, if... There had been less. Not not saying been none, because every team's going to have one or two drops, three maybe. That's how it goes, right? But seven, without those, the game is completely different. And then I think I could say, ah, yes, I was very happy with Auburn's uh, performance against Georgia. But the reality is, I don't know what their performance was like because so much was left you know, up in the air. and Very mm-hmm. unknown of how this game would have changed if the receivers had done the job that they were supposed to do. I think, And I think it was a reality check for a lot of people, and I'll count myself in that because I think a lot of people were riding the high of, oh my gosh, we beat LSU for the first time since 1999, or on the road since 1999. But I think, I think now it's been brought back to earth under the fact that this team is not very good, and it's, they're not good enough. And I think, I think it was something that set, it, set in at Penn State and set in again. And I think not just this weekend, and not just the game, I mean, but the overall weekend, I mean, Kentucky had 348 yards against LSU. Auburn could not run the ball against LSU. Which, of course, you don't like to use the transitive property in football because, again, Texas A&M lose to Mississippi State, beats Alabama. doesn't mean Mississippi State's going to beat Alabama. Yeah. The transitive property doesn't fully apply, I will course. say that uh, with, with the loss, Alabama now has a transitive loss to the Dukes of Duquesne out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Ah, yes. So yeah. let's, uh, let's hold the transitive that's property true, that's for true. now. That's true. Again, I, 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 don't, I don't like to use that very often, just the sheer disparity between the two. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like 100 versus 200. It was 60 versus 360. Fair where enough. It's just... Such a ma- I mean, it, they were just mowing them down the whole game. I, I only caught the end of the LSU Kentucky game, but it was it was a bloodbath. It was it was bad, and I think you know that's just it's very frustrating because you know 2019 it was the games they lost. Bo Nix lost them the game, in 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 effect, right? The yes. Florida game, the LSU game. The Georgia game, maybe I, that game was all manner yeah. of strange. It Harold a- Joyner throw b- f- fifteen feet behind him was. I guess you could say that, but still, then that was the storyline. There was the whole, yeah, uh, not showing up until the fourth exactly. quarter that and exacerbates struggles. Exactly, and this, the, and this now it's it's not so much. I mean, he's twenty one of thirty eight. Those seven drops are the difference between fifty percent completion percentage and seventy five percent for those who like to use the numbers as an example of that. I just think it's just very frustrating because you're now starting to realize, and it's something that a lot of fans I saw on Twitter are realizing that Auburn fans are going to have to be patient because this team is not good enough traditionally. We're used to blaming the coaches, right? That's been the storyline since when? 2014, honestly? Mm-hmm. It's, rare, even, it's rare that you have yeah. a, a talent deficit on the field. Exactly. And I think, you know, it was ne- never more apparent than the final drive by Georgia where they ran the ball every single play and they could not stop them. You could argue that Derek Mason's supposed to blitz, but and the reality the is... the defense he, was pretty tired at that point. And the reality is Derek Mason cannot afford to blitz because there's not a single defensive back on their team that I think they are confident in one-on-one. I don't think they are because when they ran play action, it worked every single time. And I think it's just it's very unfortunate that 
this realization has hit that I don't think this team is just very good and good enough to stop them. I mean, and they're all playing with injuries. Bo, I think, was clearly injured early in the game. And for those who were watching, Derek Hall was limping off the field every play just to then come back on the field. I don't know if – I wonder if the where the coaching staff was of that. But I think it's just a very frustrating reality that is set in and the fact that this may take a while. It's not going to be 2013, you know, which I think that's what a lot of people want because that's what a lot of people are used to. And even even Gene Chizik, I mean, they went 8-5 and five after going 5-7, and seven, then they went undefeated. And I, I don't think we're there yet. I don't think that the team is there yet. I don't know when they will be, but right now there needs – they just need to start winning and recruiting before they can win on the field, I think, because the talent gap is clear after this game. I think that's very evident indeed. Now your Auburn Tigers now drop to being unranked after the loss on Saturday with a new AP poll coming out. We'll talk about the new poll later in the show. I believe if you were to be technical about it, Auburn sits at 26th with the amount of votes they are receiving from the AP. Auburn travels to Fayetteville on Saturday to take on the number 17th ranked Arkansas Razorbacks, who just lost a heartbreaker to the Rebels in Oxford. That game is going to be on Saturday, of course, and at 11 a.m. local time kick. 11 a.m. in Fayetteville, 11 a.m. here in Auburn. And it might just be a little bit cold, if you can believe that one, after the uh, environments Auburn has been playing in for the past few weeks. So we are looking forward to that one. Both teams are going to be looking for a win after coming up short in a conference game. So big conference matchup as the Auburn Tigers take on the Arkansas Razorbacks this Saturday, October 16th at 11 in the morning. All right. Any closing thoughts on uh, Auburn, Georgia? Anything you need to get off your chest? Drop passes? Is that the big? Is, is, is it the wide receivers the most disappointing yes. position it was, group so far? It was getting far? comical. Chris and I were talking about that during the game. It was like bouncing off their helmets. Uh, Sean Shivers was fumbling around in his hands and got picked off. It was literally just like like the stuff you see in a sports movie before like the, the big new coach the, the comes montage. in. The yeah, montage. Yeah, before the big new coach comes in and re- redoes everything. Like one play, for example, was I think it was uh, end of the second half, Auburn gets in the red zone and they go to throw a fade to Demetrius Robinson, Robertson and it goes low and he's like pointing upwards and I'm thinking, I don't know if Bo believed he could have caught it if he threw it up in the air because he had dropped three more that were over his head. Mm-hmm. So like... It, I mean, Davis is right. It was comical is a good word to describe it. Yeah, and then um, yeah, Bo Bo was pretty physically upset about a couple things in the game, uh, including the drop passes as well as the the no call right before halftime on the um, what would have been a touchdown pass to bring it within seven. So lots to discuss here about Auburn versus Georgia. I think we'll punt on this discussion until after the break but plenty of more topics to get to if you got something to say go ahead and tweet us at cdiscau we'd love to hear your thoughts on this auburn georgia game or anything that happened on saturday around the college football world we'll do college football scoreboard new top 25 and a whole lot more on the other side of this break don't go anywhere we're hanging out with you till 10 a.m right here on 91.1 wegl Welcome back to another exciting episode of Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. I'm your host, Jack Carr, joined alongside Alex Houston and Davis Carroll. Welcoming you into the show uh, on this fine Monday morning. Thank you for spending your Monday morning with us here on WEGL 91.1 and Auburn's only student-run 
Drive Time Morning Radio Talk Show. So welcome into the show. Plenty to get to today. We're talking Auburn versus Georgia college football and any other college football you have on your mind. We'd love to hear from you at CDiscAU. You can send us a tweet or you can call in 334-844-9345. That's 334-844-WEGL on your touchtone keypad. You can also keep track of whatever the station is up to on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. That is at WEGL underscore AU on all three of those platforms. Same handle, so pretty easy to remember, WEGL underscore AU for all the updates on WEGL's social media platform page, whatever the kids are saying these days. All right, jumping right back in to the Auburn football discussion. I think we left you discussing the pass interference no call that uh, Bo Nix took issue with right before halftime when Brian Harson made the, I will, I will say, very gutsy decision. I liked the call to go for it. Uh, you needed momentum going into halftime. Uh, you did not get the momentum you needed going into halftime. You might have even gotten some negative momentum after uh, the performance that Auburn put on on the goal line. But fourth down does not go the Tigers' way, and the Tigers come up empty-handed and head into the locker room down 14 to the Bulldogs. Yeah, and that's where I wanted to... I mentioned to Alex over the break. I had some big for him, and it was base. It, it it's about the refs. Just uh, no secrets about it here. Uh, I, I'm not usually one to look back on a game and blame the refs for losing. And I'm not going to blame them for the loss here. But I will say, they definitely had an impact on the Auburn team this week that refs should not ever have. I think. You want to talk about comical performances? Davis mentioned uh, before the break the uh, drops by the receivers. There was nothing more comical than the dysfunction on that pump return play, where the ref, the lead official, is talking to Kirby Smart for five minutes, and then goes to his other refs and on the jumbotron just up and says, "What's going on, guys?" Like everybody in the stadium knew the pump returner was down. Shout out to Warrior Productions for getting their marker graphic to circle his knee down in the field. One, one of the best things they've done. In all the games that I've seen so far, I mean, it was just it was ridiculous. And I think that pass interference call to miss it was ridiculous. I don't necessarily like or dislike um, going going for the touchdown. I'm always a, a, a person who wants to take the points, especially in a defensive battle. Evidently didn't get it due to a defensive battle. But at that point, mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be. I think it could have maintained. I don't know if, if Auburn the Auburn defense would have run, ran out of gas as soon as they did uh, if they'd gone down, you know. Seven, exactly, seventeen to ten. I think I think I'm always a proponent to take the points, but if you're not going to take the points, you got to run it once inside the seven. They did not. I understand that they're stopping you, but get one of your creative running plays. Get one of the you know go to the edge, do that toss play that they ran against LSU, and that they've run in every game this season except this one, which was strange to me. Um, but yeah, the officiating that 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 was that that missed pass interference call was bad. The whole dysfunction on the punt return was worse because they looked like they didn't know what they were doing. Like, one dude's looking to his left, talking to the other official, while the replay a guy is running onto the field because he knows there has to be one. There was a lot of missed holding calls that happens every game, so I'm not going to gripe on about that. But I really, yeah, the biggest ones were the punt. The pass interference call called on Auburn against the monster of a wide receiver that Georgia had, which I think was just a bang-bang play, shouldn't have been called. And it, but if they are going to call that, I mean, obviously hot take, not hot, not a hot take here. They should have called the one for Auburn as, against Auburn as well. But you know, um, uh, I forgot what I was going. Oh, uh, I forgot what I was going to say. Give me, y- y'all say something while I try to remember what I was going to say there. It's just re- the fact. The fact of the matter is, is um, I think 
there's just a clear gap, and that's the most frustrating thing about it, regardless of the officiating, you know. And I think even more so, despite that clear gap, how different is that game if the receivers do their job? I mean, Bo Nix's completion percentage, this article was just posted by Justin Ferguson, 53.8% during the game. Uh, Pro Football Focus adjusted it for drops uh, by his receivers. 87.5% is what it would have been. Mm. Now, of course, you're going to have drops, so let's put that in the middle, right? Mm -hmm. 70%. That's for numbers' sake. In the game, that's a first down there. A first down there. There was a third and 10 to Shedrick Jackson dropped. There was a uh, fourth and seven. Demetrius Robinson, oh, dropped again. And I think... That changes the game. Because yeah, I mean, the, that's that's another cup of Gatorade your defensive starters can drink, you know, while they're – so they don't get completely gassed by the fourth quarter where they're giving up six yards on every running play. Not to mention, the reality of it is, defenses feed off ener- the energy of the crowd, and there are a few cr- stadiums that have an energy quite like Jordan-Harris Stadium. It's yeah. just how it's been. I and think you saw that after the, the sack of Stetson Bennett. Exactly. There were, there were, it was almost as if Auburn had scored a touchdown. Exactly. Because people wanted something to cheer for, and the team finally gave them something – and I think uh, just Auburn was, at that point, too far gone in order to capitalize on that momentum. But those drops just deflated the stadium and deflated the people Davis. Uh, well, the thing is with the, with the drops, because, I mean, like, if it hits one of, like, if they put their hand up and it hits it, that counts as a drop, usually. Well, I, I but, here's, no, no, but here's the thing. that you, If you look at the difficulty of the catches, most of those drops were not hard catches. Yeah. Like, four of them were Sean Shivers in the flat. Should have caught all of them. One of them went for an interception, which was ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, that's the one I was thinking was most comical. Uh, the Demetrius Robinson one bounced off his helmet where he could have caught it. The first down to give us more momentum, he should have caught that. It was in and out of his yeah. hands. He dropped like two more near the sideline, yeah. and then he finally caught that amazing catch, like fade over the shoulder. He catches it, and that made me so mad because that shows what he's able to do, but what he will not do for most of the game. Yeah, I I, I agree with that. I think. I think you're right on the fact that some some of the throws were not as perfect by Bo. The, well, they're uh, never going to be, the, the inter- but it, inter- your job be, as a receiver is the, to catch it. The intercept, interception to Shivers was behind him, and Shivers is a running back. Now, that's on Mike Bobo, in my opinion, because this is very much... LSU was caught off guard by Sean Shivers, which is why it worked. Now, Bobo was like, hmm, what if we call his number a lot? Like, a lot, a lot, to the point where it just wasn't going to work, and it didn't, because... People saw it coming, and that's what you're supposed to do is to keep people guessing, but everybody knew they were going to go to him so many times because that's what they did against LSU because LSU did not see it coming and did not expect it. This game they did, and they kept doing it, and that's – but it just – it completely changes the game. You know, it, it. I don't know how the game goes without it. Do I think Auburn wins? No, I don't because I don't think they could stop Georgia on offense or on defense for uh, for Auburn, but – do I think the game is drastically different? Do I think Auburn gets to the fourth quarter with some momentum, which is what they needed to do? That's what I was saying before the game. I said, just get to the fourth quarter. And they didn't because it was 27-10 to 10 mm-hmm. in the fourth quarter. And they, they tried their best, but it, they, they couldn't. And, I mean, it's just it's very frustrating because it's the same problem that's persisted. They have the most drops in the NCAA of any team. Yeah. And it's I mean, just there are new problems under the new coaching regime. I don't. I don't personally, maybe you can point one out to me, but I don't really have any gripes with any play calling so far. I mean, maybe you can you can point to an offensive, you know, uh, lack of precision in the red zone, but I think uh, Georgia's defense is tuned up for that. But I didn't see any, you know, any kind of coaching mistakes that kept this team out of contention. I feel like it was maj- on the, the players' individual performance. I don't, obviously not putting the blame on them, but I think if, 
at, at some point you have to consider at what's going to give you the best chance of winning and what's reducing your percentage of, of winning. And I think the player performance is definitely what's contributed the most of that on Saturday. The, on, the only critique for, my, for mine is uh, Mike Bowe treating Sean Shivers as if he's Darren Sproles or Reggie Bush when he got drafted by the Saints, which he's not. And I like I liked Sean Shivers. I think he's a great running back. But, like, there are a few running backs that deserve 10 targets a game. And the reality is, though, Bobo's back is against the wall because can you really call a pass over the middle? Because will the offensive line block for Bo to be able to make that throw and will the receivers catch it? That question mm-hmm. remains to be answered, right? Yeah. So Bobo's back is against the wall in terms of play calling, so I give him the benefit of the doubt. But yeah, like defensively, I think anybody that still has critiques for Derek Mason, there shouldn't be any. I mean, he's putting the guys in a position to win and they aren't because the team just isn't good enough. Yeah. Um, I will. I think personally, I'll give Bo's performance on Saturday a thumbs up, but do you see any problems arising with him getting back to his old scrambling ways? Do you think there's a unwarranted confidence he has that he can get out of any situation with his legs that is ending up costing the team negative yardage? Yes. I think I think so in part, but I've won it worked against LSU and it worked a few times against Georgia. Georgia is better, but so there's that. But I think I mean the offensive line has to block and I think Bo is, again, he's still not an elite quarterback. His ball placement should be better a lot of the times, and it wasn't. That touchdown throw to Shanker on the first drive, if he throws it to his left, it's a back shoulder throw that Shanker probably makes. Instead, Shanker had to basically dive over uh, the Georgia defender to catch it, if my memory serves. No, it bounced out of his hands. Well, I mean, no, no, right but, there, out of his hands. But I thought it looked a lot more no, difficult from right, uh, my right standpoint. Out of his hands. But I'll, 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 I'll Google it uh, during the uh, break, and I'll watch it again. Um but I mean, I, what is he supposed to do? Because the offensive line's not good. I think here's what he's supposed to do: every time he has pressure, either his blind side or whatever his looking side—I can't even remember what the term is—instead of stepping forward like you're supposed to do, because and then hope that your lineman block. I get that's part of it. He goes, he runs back in between them, and then he starts running around instead of just stepping forward in the pocket which is my biggest issue with them. Like, I get the scrambling works sometimes. It worked against LSU. It worked maybe two times against Georgia, and then the other four times you had to throw it away or you got sacked. Just step up for, forward in the pocket, uh, throw it to your flat, hope, hope they can catch it, throw it to a receiver that's maybe open. If not, then just throw it away instead of running around for 10 seconds and possibly losing yards. If you have to scramble like that, I'm all for you, but I feel like a lot of the times it could have been avoided by just stepping up in the pocket or just doing something much easier than running around like he's Fran Tarkenton back then, mm-hmm. back there. Yeah, it, it seems like a unnecessary problem that Bo's creating for himself. Uh, maybe, once again, based on a little bit of unfounded confidence as a result of the, uh, the LSU game. However, I'm no quarterback's coach, so what do I know? about that. Yeah, none uh, of us are, so we're, yeah. just, we're just kind of blowing air right now. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. As far as offense, but besides the drops, that seems to be the biggest uh, raised eyebrow for me on the offense is why is is Bo getting put in that situation or is he putting himself in that situation? I'd, I'd obviously have to, you know, go sit down in the film room and, and with, with my yellow marker and, and take some notes on that one, but I don't know exactly. It seems having a little too much to just chalk that up to poor offensive line play. It seems maybe Bo wants to scramble just a little bit too much for what this offense needs as a group of 11 guys. All right, plenty to get to here on Compact Discourse, including some more college football talk. On the other side of the break, we'll be doing your weather report. We'll also be talking 
all the scores from the weekend of note. We also got a brand new shiny AP poll to talk about, including a new at number one after Alabama goes down and some surprising teams in the playoff if the season were to end today. So all of that and more coming up. I'm Jack Hart, joined alongside Davis Carroll and Alex Houston. Later on in the show, we'll get to it, 91.1 FM. This is WEGL-FM Auburn. Welcome back to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. I'm your host, Jack Hart, joined alongside Alex Houston and Davis Carroll. We've been talking Auburn versus Georgia on the first 30 minutes of today's show. We have just gotten to the bottom of the hour here on this lovely Monday morning here on the Plains. We're welcoming you into the show, of course, 8.33 in the morning, which means it is time for your... War Eagle weather update as it is a lovely 67 degrees and sunny here on the Plains. A nice respite from the week of rain we had last week. Um, The rain held off. It got pretty hot over the weekend. And we are now looking at 67 degrees and clear skies. Uh, No chance of rain until later on this evening. So a welcome, you know, reprieve from all that moisture we had last week. Should get up to about 74 degrees this morning before heading over to 80 degrees when the sun really comes out this afternoon. Looking at an overnight temp of 64 degrees, so a nice chilly autumn night to get you in the mood. So, you know, get out the hot cocoa and the flannels because we don't know how many of these nights we're going to get before it starts getting hot again. So that's all I have to say about that. Hope you are enjoying the lovely fall weather. Go out and enjoy the sunshine. It's going to be, you know... Uh, a great weather day, a uh, a rare nice weather day here in the South. I'm just saying next next week's uh, weather report seems to be cooler, so it appears the cooler temperatures may be on the horizon uh, f- for us. Not sure if that'll hold true the, the entire time, but crossing my fingers. Yeah, we'll we'll hope those uh, cold fronts do not bring the rain that they uh, like to as well. So that is what we are looking forward to on the weather. You can also listen to. An hourly weather report here on WEGL every weekday at the top of the hour. So we're going to jump right in to the rest of the college football world. And, of course, there's no way better way to do that than with your college football scoreboard. So let's jump right into that one. On Saturday, it was the number 25 San Diego State Aztecs remaining undefeated. They opened up conference play with a big win over New Mexico 31-7. to the Pony Express of Southern Methodist takes down Navy 31-24 to remain undefeated. They're 6-0. Florida blanks Vandy 42-0 in the Swamp. Wake Forest remains undefeated in the Carrier Dome. They take down the Cuse in overtime 40-37. Kentucky runs wild all over LSU 42-21 to remain undefeated 6-0. Big game against Georgia coming up this weekend. Notre Dame Fights off Virginia Tech. They escape that one 32-29 to the Irish. Ole Miss runs all over Arkansas back and forth. 41 combined fourth quarter points in this one. Ole Miss wins by one against the Hogs. 
Michigan State beats Rutgers 31-13. They're undefeated, 6-0. Boise State takes down number 10 BYU and uh, improves to 3-3 on that one to the Broncos. So Brian Harson's old team taking down a top-10 opponent. Michigan avoids a scare after a fumble from Nebraska. The Cornhuskers let another win slip through their fingers. They're now 1-3 in the Big Ten. Michigan escapes 32-29. Ohio State, number seven in the land, runs all over Maryland. They get the big win 66-17 against the Terps. Oklahoma in dramatic fashion, 35 second-half points. They come back and defeat the number 21 Texas Longhorn. Spencer Rattler gets benched in that one. Oklahoma comes back and prevails. It was the number three Iowa Hawkeyes proving how tough a place to play Kinnick Stadium truly is. They beat the number four Penn State Nittany Lions 23-20 in a top five Big Ten matchup. Of course, the Georgia Bulldogs defeated the Auburn Tigers 34-10 as Stetson Bennett goes 14-21. of And the, uh, of course, uh, your early in the week games, you had Coastal Carolina blowing out Arkansas State 52-20. to Number five, Cincinnati proving they... Uh, Deserve that top five ranking. They beat Temple 52-3. to On some Pac-12 after dark, you had Arizona State taking care of Stanford 28-10. to They were improved to 5-1, undefeated in conference play. And that big old upset from Saturday night was Jimbo Fisher getting a birthday present for the second year in a row. He is His Texas A&M Aggies team downs the number one in the land, Alabama, by a tally of 41-38 to after jumping out to a 17-7 first quarter lead that was of course as Alex said earlier in the show the first ever defeat at the hands of a former assistant for Nicholas Saban over at Alabama and any of his coaching performances it was also the first time Alabama has lost to an unranked opponent since 2007 when the Crimson Tide lost the Warhawks of UL Monroe it is also the first time an AP number one has been down by an unranked team since Oregon in 2008 so Plenty of firsts and plenty to talk about across the SEC and around the college football world. Those are the scores for your top 25. We'll get to some other notable games later on in the show, but what are your initial reactions to everything that went down in the top 25 this weekend? I think the biggest thing for me, besides Bama, obviously, that's the biggest thing in a long time for college football. Uh, That might be a little hyperbolic. But, you know, Spencer Rattler getting benched, I've... (laughs) I, I cannot stand Spencer Rattler. I've been saying he is not good since I first saw him play, like, last year. I just genuinely don't think he's that good of a quarterback. And I, I'm glad he got benched. Maybe it'll humble him. Maybe it'll make him better. Uh, I don't know if y'all seen the video of him in high school yelling at his uh, teammates. Ah, oh, yes, I did see that Just video. does not seem like a very uh, nice, hospitable guy. Not a team player. Not a team player at all. Kind of selfish, and he did walk off the field and did not celebrate with his team after that gigantic Man. comeback win, which I can kind of give the pass. He got he got his he, he might have got his job taken from him. So I mean, like I can kind of give a pass for maybe not wanting to celebrate with them, but like that's that's not a good look if you want to keep your starting QB job. You're supposed to be a leader for the team, and you're walking off the field. I mean, it's it's a very awkward situation in general. I'm not sure how much Bo celebrated after the Georgia State game. I know that as he TJ stayed Finley, on the field with them, TJ Finley and everybody put it. Um, to be fair, that was Georgia State. No, no, I well, and but, not the Red River rivalry. No, okay, there's no I, golden cowboy hat on the line. But I, I'm Alex. just I'm just I'm just saying it's it is a very awkward situation because you're celebrating the fact that you put your your team in a bad position, got 
taken out of the game, and suddenly your team improved dramatically without you. You are celebrating because you are the one reason your team did not win, or you were going to be you were going to be the reason your team did not win the game. It's a very awkward situation. Well, the thing is, I don't he- know. Look, I know you should, but I understand why it would feel very strange and why he wouldn't want to. It's a very strange situation. You are celebrating being bad at your job, getting taken out, and somebody else doing it better than you. Well, it's not even like he went, "Hey, what's the backup QB's name?" It's like Kobe, Kobe, something Williams. Cole I can't or something remember. Like that. I don't know. Colby Jack. Don't, I don't know. But he, it's not like he went up to the backup QB and was like, he might have that we didn't see, but he's like, good job. But I, well, good I mean, job. You know, you did a good job bringing it back. I'm sorry this was in that position. But I, knowing Spence, how Spencer Rattler is, based on the stuff I've seen about him, I doubt he did that, and I doubt he would do that. It's uh, Caleb Williams, by the way. Okay. Um, I knew it was something you with got, you gotta You got to ask that quarterback that, I mean, because there was a lot unseen of apparently Bo and TJ Finley who have had a very tight relationship throughout the offseason and during that Georgia State game. I mean, People weren't looking for it, so they didn't see it. But Finley was very clear to point that out. His that was the very first thing he mentioned, you know, uh, at the end of the game. But that game was crazy, and Texas is bad, like, like really bad. Like the final score, like was the running back touched? Was there anybody near him? Do you think they were letting him score so they could get the ball back? No, there was a second on the clock. That's what I'm. That's, I mean. Sark Sark knows better than you. Legitimately, if, like, with the way the clock was running, if they had just forced him to run around a second, he would have ran the clock out. I mean, he barely, he got in the end zone with a second left. Mm -hmm. Like, it was terrible. Which, again, that's, that Sarkeesian is probably in the same spot of Harson of where, you know, he has to fix the post-Tom Herman era of, oh, get four defenders around C.D. Lamb and somehow let him score, which was one of the strangest highlights I've ever seen. But, man, they're bad. Like, it's it's a long way to go for Texas and a long way to go for Oklahoma because, you know, can Caleb Williams sustain it? We've seen how many backups come into one game and look brilliant and then follow it up with... Some people are already talking about Spencer Rattler transferring, where he should transfer to. I mean... Which I think is a little early. He'll, he'll probably start next game, but no, from what I've seen of Spencer Rattler, I'm sure he's going to play terrible again. I don't. I just don't think he's Dave, good at Davis all. is coming for blood I this don't episode. like Spencer My Rattler. My goodness. Well, he's just... I don't know. He's just not good. Name one good game he's had. I mean, I mean he probably can. But look, I, I didn't watch him, so I got to pull up the numbers one second. Okay, but th- Oklahoma. Alex, we've been over this. Oklahoma, numbers don't, don't numbers uh, don't give the whole story. Oklahoma's back in action this Saturday against Texas Christian. They have the number four spot in the new AP poll. That game is going to be at six thirty p.m. They have a pretty you know light schedule before I think what I think is going to be the underrated game of rivalry weekend, which is of course Bedlam. I really like Oklahoma State to come out of the Big 12 with the crown this year, uh, almost by default, if you can believe that, with the way Oklahoma's been playing. So TCU and Kansas are the next two on the docket. So plenty of time for Spencer Rattler to get back on his feet with those two opponents. I mean, I mean, Davis, I can name a like few Like I just games. said, numbers don't, if you've watched them, you would agree with me. Intangibles. I think, yes. I, I think numbers I mean, if you look at the numbers, the it seems like Bo had a good game. He was that that is not even true. He had fifty three percent completion percentage. It looks like he had a bad game, if anything. Above fifty is good to me. Well, in that case, then Spencer Rattler's been good every single game. But what I'm saying is, watch him play, and he's the most frustrating quarterback to watch because he is so bad. I don't know if he's that bad. He's pretty bad. I don't. I don't but, know if he's look. As maybe bad I'm a little too said. harsh on him because I just don't like him. I I think that's in part. He's I mean, last good. week against Kansas State, he was 22 for 25, 88 percent completion percentage, and two touchdowns. He's the reason they won that against game. Against who? 
Kansas State, mm. who was undefeated at the time. Kansas State. Are, I rest my case. Are you intentionally being dumb? Is that what is like? Is, is hey, Spencer Rattler's not good. Go. It, is this is this like I I can't really believe that this is the argument that we're actually having. You're just gonna throw Kansas State to the side like they're not a good football team, which they are. He was 22 of 25. It's not like he was 22 of 25 against Missouri State, which he actually was pretty good against Missouri State last year. But anyway, um, it's Kansas State on the road, a sellout at one of the tougher environments to play, of which Oklahoma lost two straight to Kansas State, by the way. That's not Spencer Rattler losing two straight. That's Oklahoma quarterbacks in general, including Jalen Hurts for that matter. And you're just going to say, oh, 22 of 25 is nothing? Really? Okay, he had. Okay, look, here's the thing. I just don't like him. Sure, that's a good game. Still not a good player. A blind girl finds a nut every once in a while. I think that's a good. Well, let's see. I was wondering if that was a good line to go to commercial break with, but it appears we have like a minute left. I think I think we can make it work. Um, so you heard it here first. Spencer Rattler, not a good quarterback, according to Davis. Seems like a hill he's True. willing to die on. I, I so will, he's not. Uh, come one, come all. Take take him on at CDiscAU if you're a Spencer Rattler defender or a attacker at this point. All challenges welcome. Uh, We're going to head to a quick break when we come back. Some more college football, including some teams not in the top 25. So don't go anywhere. Welcome back to another exciting episode of Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. Plenty to get to before we hit our break at 9 a.m. It's 8.47 right now, hanging out with you here on WEGL. WEGL, those are our call letters. Spells out Weagle. Um, we're hanging out with you in the Bradley Basin Studios here in the Harold Melton Student Center on the campus of Auburn University. As always, we are broadcasting Live from the loveliest village on the plains on the Big 91. That's W-E-G-L right here. I'm Jack Hart, joined alongside Alex Houston and Davis Carroll. We're going to jump right back into some college football scores, including some games you might not have watched because these teams are unranked, but interesting nonetheless. All right, it was UCLA in a game after your bedtime. They beat Arizona. Arizona still winless, if you can uh, believe that, and you probably can. UCLA making their case for the Pac-12 South. They improved their conference record to 2-1. and one. Speaking of the Pac-12 South, it was Utah running all over USC in the Coliseum. They're 2-0 and in conference play now as they defeat the Trojans 42-26. to It was uh, Wyoming who uh, entered the poll last week. They went down, opening up conference play with a loss as they lose to the Air Force Academy 24-14. to uh, Texas State defeats South Alabama in overtime 33-31. TCU, big offensive performance against the uh, Red Raiders of Texas Tech. They blow out Tech 52-31. Washington State has a big second-half comeback to defeat Oregon State. They went 31-24. Missouri has a bit of a scare against North Texas, who puts up quite the comeback, and uh, their quarterback throws four touchdown passes as Missouri looks uh escapes with just a 13 point win against the 1 and 4 North Texas team. It was all right. Get ready for this one. University of Connecticut. They lose. Uh, they lose of course. Of course they lose. Uh 13 to 27 to UMass. However, UMass this was their first win in 742 days. 
UConn has not won a game in 715 days, and their last win was against UMass. So, the best chance UConn had to win a game this season, probably, uh, comes up short as they only muster 13 points, and the Minutemen of University of Massachusetts get the big win on that one, their first win of the season, and uh, they defeat the Huskies 27-13, to and the winless streak continues for University of Connecticut. UConn was favored by three. As their uh, their losing streak, cont- uh, I think, rolls on to 718 days. All right, Wisconsin blanks Illinois 24 nothing in a Big Ten showdown. How about this one? Florida State over North Carolina 35-25. What is going on in the ACC? Liberty runs all over Middle Tennessee 41-13. UAB gets their first win in their brand new stadium 31-14. to Go the Blazers over the Owls of FAU. Virginia squeaks out one against Louisville. 21 fourth quarter points is good enough for a Cavs victory, 34-33 over the Cards. Georgia Tech, four-point win over the Blue Devils of Duke, 31-27. Tech's now 2-2 two and two in the ACC. Baylor runs all over the Nears of West Virginia, 45-20. Go the Baylor Bears. Tennessee in those all-black uniforms blow out South Carolina, 45-20. They put up a 28 spot in that first quarter. Uh, go the Vols in Neyland. And that is going to do it for your uh, your unranked game. So now we will transition over to the AP poll, uh, where we'll talk about newcomers and those who dropped off the poll, biggest movements in the poll, and uh, Alex has a few things to say about the poll. So we'll get to all that in just a second. But first, Texas falls to 25. Auburn is receiving 106 votes, good enough for 26 in the poll, right next to Clemson and Baylor, both receiving about 60 votes themselves. So Auburn, Clemson, and Baylor, your first three out of the poll. San Diego State and SMU will round up your G5 teams at the back end of the poll. They're both undefeated. North Carolina State maintains their position after uh, having a bye week. A&M moves up to 21. Welcome back to the poll, A&M, after downing Alabama. Florida takes care of business against Vandy. That's good enough for 20th in the poll. Brigham Young drops 19 points down to 19. Arizona State jumps up 4 to 18. Arkansas tumbles down to just 17 after losing to the Rebels. Wake Forest 6-0. Welcome to number 16 on the poll. Right next to Coastal Carolina, an undefeated team as well. Ole Miss jumps up to number 13. Uh, Oklahoma State parks it right there at number 12. Kentucky jumps up five spots, undefeated 6-0 at number 11. Michigan State undefeated as well at number 10. And now your top 10 in order. You got Oregon at 9, Michigan at 8. Penn State 7, Ohio State 6, Alabama outside the playoff at number 5. They're 5-1. Five and one. And your four undefeated playoff teams right now, Oklahoma, Cincinnati, Iowa, and UGA, lowercase g, at 6-0, and oh, number one in the land. Alabama knocked off. And uh, longtime fans of Compact Discourse will remember, but this is the first time that Alabama has lost to a team not nicknamed the Tigers since 2015. So that, uh, that trivia question is no longer valid. All right, Alex. What's what's your what's your beef? My beef is the fact that Arkansas lost to Georgia thirty-seven to nothing in what was a slaughter. By the way, they did, they were not competitive uh, in that game, and they only dropped five spots. Meanwhile, Auburn loses to this Georgia team. Looks competitive up until the end, really, and could have been a very different game. A few plays yeah. go a different way, and two, they drop all of seven spots. Two passing plays don't go Auburn's way, and we're looking at you know. A two-score loss. Exactly. A very, very different game. I mean, Arkansas, it was it was a bloodbath from the jump. They were terrible. Like the 21 game. spot in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Like, it, 
or in the first quarter. Like yeah. we were three three at the end of one. Exactly, all. exactly. And I think that that drop is ridiculous. I think Alabama dropping five spots after losing to a bad Texas A&M team. This is not a A and M team. That Hold lost. on, this A and M team is ranked number twenty one in the AP poll. Well, Alex. this A and M team is not very good and lost to Mississippi State, who is terrible. Mississippi State is not good, and neither is Texas A&M, in my opinion. Of course, Calzada got it together, and Jimbo Fisher did his best Gus Malzahn impression because he would not have been fired, but he would have been on the hottest seat of, of seats for a long time because, again, they couldn't afford to fire him. They gave him a 10-year contract, a very good idea there. But, I mean, this Mississippi State team is – I mean, you just go down the line. They lost – to that Mississippi State team loses to LSU, loses to Memphis, beats Louisiana Tech by one, and Texas A&M uh, loses to them. I just like, I do not believe that this A&M team is very good, and I believe uh, Alabama should have dropped them more than that. The question is, of course, who do you put above them, right? Because you know you go down the line, they can, you can't put them below people. But I mean, Ohio State has a much better loss than Alabama, like significantly better. Oregon. A one-score loss to number nine now, Oregon, yeah, exactly. four and one. Exactly. A much better loss, uh, in my opinion, or even Penn State for that matter. Their one loss is in probably one of the best environments in the history of college football. I say that because Kirk Ferentz has something cooking at Kinnick Stadium because they find a way to beat teams no matter what. They always like they they were six and five one year and beat Ohio State. I don't know how they did it, but they did it. Like, that team. Or, I mean, maybe don't put Alabama below Michigan, but Michigan hasn't lost on their schedule to anybody. They didn't, you know, they didn't lose to Wisconsin, who I think has the same record as Texas A&M, if I'm not mistaken. You know, I think it's ridiculous. I think it's it's very much the problem with a lot of polling in general is because, oh, we know Alabama's been good, so they must be good. They can't drop that far. They should because they lost to a bad team. So, that's my beef. I think the poll is stupid, and I think it's going to get dumber in the CFP because no matter what, the College Ball Playoff Committee's got to say, well, you know, we got to have a top five matchup for SEC on CBS on November 12th or whatever the heck it is. So, therefore, that's what's going to happen, and it's ridiculous. So, yeah, I don't like uh, the AP poll. I don't like any voting. There is no good voting systems in college football. I've lost all hope. All right, well, Cincinnati is sitting at number three right now with a 5-0 and record. And, you know, it, it's easy to squeak out of a number four spot if you're the college football playoff. But is there any way that if Cincinnati keeps winning, they can dislodge them from the playoff? They, I'm putting all of my hope on the Iowa and Cincinnati uh, bandwagons. Iowa, their schedule is good enough. If they went out, they should be in regardless. But Cincinnati, I don't know how. The Okay, the only way... I'm looking at the schedule. I'm trying to like visualize how it'll schedule out. I mean, right. they're going to need a whole bundle of 52 yeah. to three performances like they had this weekend. Oklahoma will probably win out. I think. I don't think there's. I'm not sure. Uh, or or Bedlam. But either way, put the Big 12 champion in if it's undefeated Oklahoma State or Oklahoma, right? Um, assume an SEC champion gets in. Assume Iowa goes undefeated. The only way I see it not working out is really right now the way the schedule set up. All the teams are going to play each other. The only problem is. If Penn State beats Ohio State and then Iowa loses, then it's a very complicated thing of do those two teams deserve a spot in? Mm-hmm. You, know? you can have Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, and Iowa all rolling into December with two losses exactly. potentially. Exactly. And, and uh, you know, throw Michigan State in there as well. Exactly. And you got a very sort of where do we go with that, right? And I think that's certainly a big question. Um, 
you have Penn. I mean, Penn State not impressed me at all this season. Yeah, actually, they they really have not. Um, and then again, they did lose Sean Clifford against Iowa. That changes the game. Okay, as always, uh, he got injured very early on, and their backup was not good. I mean, no disrespect to the guy, he was like five of thirteen at one point. Not good. Um, so that I I do agree with that. But there's just there's a lot of strange things that could happen. But if Cincinnati wins out, I don't see how you don't. Now, of course. The, C- the college football playoff committee likes to remind us the conference championships are so important as Oregon is probably going to face a three-loss team in the championship game. All right, settle down, Notre Dame fan. No, no, this is not even a Notre Dame thing. It's just dumb and regardless because, I mean, like, like theoretically, we could have a two-loss Alabama in the SC championship game somehow. That could happen. A that's lot not of even crazy- a somehow. That might. That will probably happen. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's just ridiculous that – that's going to be so important to people, and it will be. Now, there's a lot of teams that could certainly fly in later. Kentucky, what happens if Kentucky beats Georgia? I don't think they will beat Georgia. I don't think they stand a chance against Georgia. But what happens? You know, How does that shake things up? Do you drop Georgia below Cincinnati? I mean, number one, Iowa? That'll be exciting. That'll I, be today. I, I, I'm excited for that. But do you drop Georgia below Cincinnati? You know, How far do you drop certain teams? If Alabama plays Georgia in the SC Championship game and Alabama beats Georgia – do you keep Alabama and Georgia in and shove Cincinnati out? That is what I think will happen. Because, you know, despite the fact that we know, no matter what, Georgia will never beat Alabama, it's, we got we got to see Kirby find a new way to lose. Whether it's putting JT Daniels at wide receiver and calling a fade or whatever the heck he'll draw up in the fourth quarter, he'll find a way because that's what Kirby Smart does. So I don't know what will happen. I hope Cincinnati goes undefeated and finds a way in because that's exciting for college football. Yep. Death Texas and the dogs choking the one away. All right, uh, your goof of the week is going to go to the Atlantic Coast Conference, who have managed to put together an absolutely abhorrent cluster of teams this season. It's a dumpster fire. We've got a uh, presumptive heir to the throne, Wake Forest. The Demon Deeks are 4-0 and in conference play, good enough for a 6-0 and overall record. Uh, they're on a six-game winning streak, obviously. And um, then your only other ranked team is going to be NC State in the same division as Wake Forest. So whoever rolls up to Charlotte from those two will be taking on potentially a Pittsburgh team who is not very good, a Virginia Tech team who is not very good, or a Virginia team who has uh, started off with a 2-2 two and two conference record. So n- not, 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 not much pres- uh, presence out of the uh, Atlantic Coast Conference to start off the season, and uh, they may have dropped to fifth place behind the back 12. They might have. And if I may, Wake Forest's last undefeated season was 1895. So very exciting for wow. them. Not as exciting as UTSA, who's currently undefeated for the first time ever. We hope they can go all the way. UTSA the uh, receiving 22 AP poll votes yes. as well. So we may see them at number 25. Um, but, uh, of course, Wake Forest needing overtime to topple a 0-2 Syracuse team in the Dome this weekend. So not looking good for Wake Forest undefeated season, if you ask me, or NC State for that matter. Uh, Clemson, an afterthought at this point, they're at a cool Three and two overall record and vying for third place, right next to Florida State, if you can believe it, in those ACC standings. So we'll uh, keep our eye on the Atlantic Coast and uh, what they can. Which one of those teams is going to get sacrificed to a New Year's Six Bowl? All right, plenty to get to here on Compact Discourse. We're talking NFL and playoff baseball in the second hour, so don't go anywhere. It is an exciting time for sports. It is mid-October. It is plenty to talk about as a result. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to Compact Discourse on 91.1 FM. That's WEGL, of course. I'm Jack Hart, joined alongside Alex and Davis. 
plenty to get to on the other side of the break. Let us know if you want to hear something at CDiscAU. You can send us a tweet. We'd love to hear from you. Hope you're enjoying your Monday morning, and we'll be right back in about five minutes. And gentlemen, this is FM 91. W-E-G-L, Welcome back to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL. 91.1 FM, it is 9.06 in the morning on October 11th, 2021. We welcome you into the show today. Thank you for spending your Monday morning with us here at WEGL 91.1 FM and Compact Discourse. All right, plenty to get to on the show, including some playoff baseball and a big NFL Sunday with a lot to talk about. But first, I would like to remind you that all of our episodes are available as podcasts, absolutely PSA break free. Wherever you get your podcast, just go uh, on your podcast player of choice and search for Compact Discourse. You should be able to find us and find all of our old episodes available whenever you want to listen to them. We are also on YouTube as well. Uh, just search for WEGL 911 and look for that orange and blue eagle logo. You'll be able to see our beautiful faces and Alex's messed up camera as we uh, continue to work on. It's, it's always a work in progress here at WEGL, uh, always approaching the best we can be, so asymptotically approaching the uh, the best show possible. And uh, you can also catch us on Eagle Eye TV uh, on campus. That's Channel 6. Uh, check your local, local listings for Eagle Eye TV to be able to watch us. Uh, We're in the rotation over there, so you never know when Compact Discourse might appear on your television screen. All right. Uh, You can also follow the station at WEGL underscore AU. That's WEGL underscore AU, Weagle AU, on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok for all of the updates on the station and plenty of cool content. They're always cooking up something cool there on the marketing team, so be sure to check that out. If you haven't already, that is, of course, at WEGL underscore AU. All right. Let's jump right into the show. We have playoff baseball as we are in the midst of a lovely October. So, of course, plenty of playoff baseball to get to. Uh, We'll start where we left you off last week, and that is on Thursday, October 7th. It was McCullers Jr. getting the win over Lance Lynn uh, opening up in Minute Maid Park. It was the Astros 6-1 over the White Sox to take a 1-0 series lead, and the Tampa Bay Rays down in the trop, they won 5 nothing over the Boston Red Sox, who just defeated the Yankees in the AL wildcard game. In that game, Randy Arozarena not only hit a home run, but also stole home base, the first player to ever do so in a playoff game. How about that? First player to uh, – wasn't the last person Jackie Robinson, like 55? I think he was the first player ever to do mm. both of those things in one game. Okay. In a playoff game. I thought you thought – okay. Yeah, I I think the last person to only steal home was Jackie Robinson, but I don't think he hit a home run that game. Very nice. I think that's the differentiating factor between those stats. All right, and then a continuation of those American League series continued on Friday afternoon where the Astros racked up their second win. Uh, they defeated the White Sox with a, by a tally of 9-4. to four. They got 10 hits in that one to the White Sox, 11. Uh, Stanek gets the win. Bummer gets the loss. How fitting. Uh, he has an ERA of 81 for that game. 
So that doesn't sound good. I'm so, not. A, I'm not an expert in baseball. Yeah, but that, that uh, sounds pretty hot. Once you hit those, anything over three is not good. Once you hit those so. double digits uh, by a magnitude of eight, there might be a little bit of a problem Maybe for the a White bit. Sox. Maybe a bit. All right, and then it was the Boston Red Sox coming back and going yard just more times than I could count to take down the Rays, fourteen to six. They rack up twenty hits in that one as the Rays pitching staff gets absolutely rocked on. Friday afternoon, Red Sox win that one 14-6 to tie up the series. Over in the NL, you had the Brewers and the Braves, a pitching battle to say the least. Charlie Morton and Hauser. Morton gets the loss with that one. He uh, has an ERA of three, um, and the Brewers come away with the win 2-1 to one, despite a spirited effort by the Braves. I think they brought the tying run uh, to the plate or got him on base in the top of the ninth there in Milwaukee. On Friday, and then it was the San Francisco Giants and the LA Dodgers. The first time these teams have ever met in the playoffs, if you can believe that. These two historic franchises and historic rivals. The most combined wins ever, probably, between two playoff teams at uh, 213 between the two of these guys. Uh, the Giants blank the Dodgers 4 nothing in that one. Uh, Bueller gets the loss, Webb gets the W. All right, moving on into the weekend, it was the Braves. They came back and defeated the Brewers 3 to nothing. Although the Brewers did have the tying run on base, I think, for three consecutive innings at the end. So that tied the series one all. Max Fried gets the win in that one. Woodruff takes the L. And then the Dodgers tie their series by coming back with an 11-hit performance. Urias gets the win. Gaussman gets the loss. And the Dodgers win that one 9-2. to On yesterday, you had the Red Sox back home in Fenway. They uh, defeat the Rays by a tally of 6-4, to but not without some controversy as uh, we had to check the rule book a few times to make sure everything was above board in Fenway. And the White Sox stave off elimination by doubling up on the Astros 12-6. to Garcia gets the loss. Kopik gets the win in that one. His ERA is a cool 11.57. Garcia's is sitting at 36. So, you know, take the over if you're betting on Astros White Sox because these pitchers are getting absolutely shelled. As there's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos, it will be a home run. And that's going to do it for your playoff baseball update, but not without talking about today's games. At 12 p.m. Central Time, you can believe that the Atlanta Braves are back in action, which is why Daniel Locke's not able to join us today. He's on his way to Atlanta to watch Game 3 of the NLDS as the Milwaukee Brewers take on the Atlanta Braves. That is Freddie Peralta on the bump for the Brew Crew and Ian Anderson for the hometown Bravos. Atlanta's favorite in that one, money line at negative 111 ATL, over-under sitting at 8. The thrilling continuation of the Astros-White Sox series will continue. Uh, Chicago favored in that one, so Vegas likes the Sox to keep that series alive. It is uh, Carlos Rodon on the bump for the White Sox. The Rays and Red Sox. Red Sox looking to advance to the ALCS after winning the wildcard game against the Yankees. They have an undecided starter uh, for the Rays, so, you know. High drama if you're Tampa Bay as they look to avoid elimination. And then let's jump on over to San Francisco Giants and L.A. Dodgers. That series is, of course, tied 1-1. to We're back in Dodger Stadium in the Chavez Ravine for that one. L.A., big favorite in this one as Max Scherzer takes the bump for the first time since the wild card game. And Alex Wood is going to be your starter for SFG. That's the San Francisco Gigantes, as we like to call them. So that is your playoff baseball outlook kicking off pretty much as soon as we end here today at noon central time when the first pitch of the Brewers and the Braves 
takes place. And we got playoff baseball all day today, a lovely fall day for it, as uh, we'll probably be watching baseball till about 10.30 tonight when the Giants and the Dodgers finally resolve their game. And it looks like uh, despite the uh, noon central time uh, start time for the Braves game, it looks like everybody in Atlanta cleared their schedules. I'm looking on Ticketmaster right now, and Truist Park is pretty much sold out. There appear to be very few options even left. So it looks like it'll be rocking in Atlanta for uh, this game. Yikes. And the good news there is that uh, Jacob Hillman will not be able to attend the game, which ah. is good if you're a Braves fan. As you uh, as you may long-time fans yes. of the show, and I mean long-time fans of the show, may remember back in uh, di- the distant year 2019 when the Atlanta Braves took on the St. Louis Cardinals in a thrilling Game 5 in an LDS and uh, did not make it out of the first inning without conceding 10 runs, to which me and Jacob Hillman were in a, you know, a gassed attendance to that one. So, plenty to get to here on Combat Discourse. We're talking playoff baseball on the other side of this break. Don't go anywhere. Plenty to get to as we have a full day of playoff baseball. First pitch, 12.07 p.m. for Brewers at Braves, all the way to first pitch, 8.37 p.m., Giants-Dodgers. Playoff baseball, we're going to get Davis to weigh in on the White Sox and a whole lot more on the other side of this break. You're listening to WEGL 91.1 FM, Auburn's student-run radio station since 1971. That's over 50 years now. If you want to call into the show, you can. 334-844-9345. Phone's always open, as well as the Twitter account, CDiscAU. We'll be right back in about two minutes with some more Compact Discourse. Welcome back to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. I'm your host, Jack Hart, joined alongside Davis Carroll and Alex Houston. We're talking playoff baseball. That is, you know, smack dab in the middle of October. What else are we going to talk about as it is always October here for the playoff baseball teams? We got no one eliminated yet, but that could change today as the both the Rays and the Chicago White Sox are on the brink of elimination, and they both play today. So, beautiful day in Chicago, Illinois, where it will be the White Sox defending home turf against the Astros. They are favored in that one. It's 73 degrees and sunny. Perfect day for baseball. Uh, can't say the same for Fenway Park, where it is uh, 64 and overcast. Uh, you know, lovely baseball weather for the Sox to try to defend their right to move on to the ALCS against the 100-win Tampa Bay Rays. Um, it's going to be a pretty exciting day of playoff baseball. We might see some tickets punched to the ALCS today, and if the, both the Astros and the Red Sox win, we will see the ALCS matchup decided before the uh, NLDS matchups even get to Game 4. So lots to be excited about if you're a playoff baseball fan, and you know who isn't these days. All right, jump right in. Davis, what are your initial reactions and ongoing reactions to what is happening on the diamond this fall? So uh, before break, uh, you were talking about uh, the ERA for the White Sox versus Astros. Yeah. These these pitchers are just getting shelled. I was talking big on the White Sox pitchers last week. Maybe not my best intuition on my part because, uh, you know, the Astros are very high scoring and the White Sox have been pretty high scoring themselves. Uh, really just no, no defense has been played in those games. So, 
uh, really whoever's going to win this series, based on the trend so far, is just going to have to score more, which is a very Joe Buck take. But you know what I mean. This uh, Today we have Carlos Rodon on the uh, mound. Has a 2.37 ERA mm-hmm. this season. 13-5, and 5, 185 Ks, .96 whip. Pretty good season. Uh, was in contention for the Cy Young for a lot of it. Yeah, I'm not um, sure if he's going to win it after all. Rodon has only pitched 18 innings since August 1st. Yeah. He has not gone more than five innings in any appearance, but he has held all of his opponents to two earned runs or fewer. So, hoping the White Sox can break the streak and get a good outing out of Rodon. That's probably going to be their best chance to jump on Houston in this uh, critical Game 4. And for the White Sox matchup pitching-wise, they are playing Jose or uh, your Quidi? I'm not really sure. Your Quidi? That sounds right. I think that's what a Q does in Spanish, I think. Yeah. But uh, he has a 3.62 RA. Still pretty still pretty uh, serviceable, I'd say. 90 Ks, .99 whip, and an 8-3 record. Uh, not as good as Rodon, but I'd still say he's a pretty serviceable uh, starting pitcher in your rotation. But, you know, I'm sure the White Sox... Uh, players would love to play against him because they have a few, based on these games, that are doing pretty good batting-wise. Uh, Luis Rob- Robert, more probably more like Robert, has a 500 batting average through the three games they're playing right now, which is, I mean, just impressive in any way. 12 at-bats, six hits, or, yeah, I think that's pretty impressive. That's pretty impressive. For the playoffs? Yeah. Yeah, Tim gotta Anderson, get hot. Yeah, Tim Anderson has a four six seven with four strikeouts. Mm-hmm. But he does have uh, seven total bases in that time in those three games. And the one other player over 400 for them is, where is it? Is Jose Abreu, first baseman. Only three strikeouts. Yeah, and they only have two home runs in this postseason, I think, which is kind of surprising based on the amount of scoring. So they're getting a lot of base hits, a lot of RBIs. Overall, I still like the White Sox in this series. I mean, like... The Astros are probably, I think they are the favorite. They actually, the money line has Chicago negative 125 for this game since it is in Chicago. So mm-hmm. Chicago could get the win here and then maybe pull it out one more, but that next game will be in Houston, correct? Yes, game five will be in Houston. I'm still going to, I'd put my money on the White Sox just because I'm not a big Astros fan. John Cusack, though, big White Sox fan and a big Cubs fan. If you see him, don't ask him, though, because he'll, he'll apparently get mad at you. Yeah, Davis was telling us a little story during the break. Um, Here's a problem for the Tampa Bay Rays. They have no pitchers left. Hey, it's, it, Byler Blasnow is going to uh, come out of retirement and start to now. In a fake mustache. Oh, they, they, they picked him, a new, new free agent. Off the wire. It's a um, mechanical arm. It's coming from MLB.com. The Rays were going to have to make some decisions about who is going to work their bullpen game on Monday, regardless of the outcome of Sunday evening's game. But now those plans are going to be a lot more difficult. Tampa Bay used nine pitchers in that 6-4 to four extra innings loss last night. Game three of the ALDS on Fenway tied for the second most number of pitchers a team has used in a single game in postseason history. Nine. It's one for every inning uh, if it does go to extras. That left just two arms unused heading into a do-or-die bullpen game on Monday night. Of course, it is a pen game, as the Rays are wont to do. Kevin Cash quoted as saying, I'm sure we'll have a lot of discussions into the night and into tomorrow. So very diplomatic answer from skipper Kevin Cash. Um, it's going to be, uh, you know, two the two unused arms left are Colin McHugh and Michael Waka. So 
And McHugh did not do great in his game three or his game two performance. So it, it, uh, you're putting you're putting a bit of a spot if you're the Tampa Bay Rays. The ERAs for this team, this pitching staff overall is crazy. We got. 20.25, 11.5, 7.71, 13.50, and 9. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, I said McHugh didn't do great in that um, post-playoff game in Game 2. Waka didn't do very good either. He had uh, six earned runs on nine hits and two and two-thirds relief innings when they lost that game 14-6 to when pretty much the balls were flying into the Stingray tank quicker than you could count them down in Tropicana. Yeah, this so. is this is a very they're in a very tough spot as you mentioned just in terms of depth and again you're going to a historic ballpark and a team that is as as we can see very red hot at this point and I really don't see the Rays getting out of Boston with a win. I mean, it's Fenway, it's the Red Sox and as you mentioned, the Rays don't have any pitching left and I don't know where they're going to find it. We'll see if they can, but even if they do find it, will it be any good? I'm not sure. So that's this is yeah. Look, even I, I I genuinely think even if they had Tyler Glass now starting on the bump, that might help them early in the game. So once they have to put in another pitcher, they'd still be in dire straits. Yeah, but you could make the argument that having your relief pitchers play more innings than they're used to may be the reason this is happening, and also playing every single person in your bullpen every night may also be a contributing factor, which I think is fair. Playing nine seems very ill-advised. Well, the what was the like? Okay, I did not watch the game. I can only look at the stat sheet for this one. What was the strategy behind that exactly? You put him in, and then once once the batting order came around, you had someone pinch hit for him. Okay, but like so, the, what? It just seems seems like a bad. Unless you want to send Colin McHugh up to hit, which I personally really wouldn't. They're in the AL. Oh, you're right. Yeah, but that's it. Well, so, even then. So what, Jack? Do you know what the? Why didn't you say that earlier? You're something sounds silly. I was just, I, I was trying to wrap my head around your argument. I mean, the strategy is we don't have enough starters to field a playoff roster. You know, it's the the Rays do a bullpen game when they can, and so they're just dealing with a lack of personnel. So they're okay. trying to they're trying to get uh, M- M- McClanahan healthy for today, so, but he's also he's also day to day. He doesn't at, he has an extra day of rest over Shane Baz, but. You know, both of those guys pitched a pretty mighty performance earlier in this same series. Okay, so as a uh, not very into baseball uh, guy, I don't I don't know as much about baseball as you guys do. Obviously, how are the Rays the number one seed if they don't have enough people on the right? Have there been injuries that happened later in the season? Like, what's the? There are injuries, okay, but just... they've also been very effective with their bullpen games. And it just blew up in their face last night, essentially. Yeah, basically, yes. Okay. Having to go thirteen and getting shelled in game two were just two. Two worst case scenarios, okay. compounding on top of one another. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Thank you. To basically right. empty their tank of all pitchers. All right, um, Rays and Red Sox. We've got to talk about this ground rule double in Fenway last night. Um, now I'm gonna, Alex. I'll, I'll take it. You didn't see this, so I'm gonna use that as a test of whether or not I can explain this correctly. All right, man on. Where's the man? Man on first. Three two count. Top of the thirteenth inning. Tampa Bay four. Boston four. Kevin Kiermaier is at the plate, two outs. Kevin Kiermaier belts a what looks to be, you know, a very well-hit ball to the wall, to the bullpen, right center in Fenway. The ball caroms off the bullpen wall, strikes the Red Sox outfielder in the shoulder, and then bounces back into the bullpen. What's the, what's the score there? 
I think the grammar rule double rule calls right, personally. I think it's the correct call, but, like, do we like that rule? Well, yeah, I mean, it's out of play. If it bounced out of play without the player touching it, it's still a grammar rule double. So, I, yeah, it, since it's out of play, you're not gonna, you can't let them just go home on that one since it did hit inbounds before it went out. Okay, fair enough. I, I think, you know, if they had fielded it cleanly, it probably would have been a double yeah. anyway. So it, it's a heartbreaker, but we did have to, to break out the rule, rule book on, on uh, last night when Kevin Kiermaier looked like he basically scored the game-winning. Or what, what makes it interesting is that you had, you had uh, Yandy Diaz at first who has some wheels, and he, was able, he would have been able to score from first with this well-hit ball from Kevin Kiermaier, but he's forced to park it at third and the Rays get out of the inning without scoring anything in the 13th. So what could have been a effective game-winning run for Kevin Kiermaier and the Rays is all for naught as the quirks of Fenway Park prevent that from occurring. I so, thought it had bounced off the top of the wall and then like off the guy, which I would have made the argument for a home run, but it bounced off kind of like lower down the yeah, wall. like the where ground. the ads would be. Right. Yeah, so I, it, seeing the video from that angle, I, I agree it should have been ground rule double. I watched the was. video as well. I just uh, Google it. All you do is type it on Twitter, ground rule double, and you found it. Uh, a lot of people are very angry about it. It appears a lot of the anger comes in the fact that, you know, what's the precedent for just um, nearing your body like and just deflecting the ball intentionally over? Of mm-hmm. course, the umps reviewed it and claimed they did not see intent upon replay, which is why they stuck with the call. That's what the umpire said in the post game. Which I like the umpires having a post game press conference, by the way. Yeah, very, hold, hold them accountable. Very, very, very much better than any uh, officiating uh, system in. They also have their Twitter sports, don't they? They well, every NBA league, has every one. league has an officiating Twitter. The NFL's is still the worst, but anyway, um, yeah. So I, I I understand why that was the call, but I understand why people are angry because that does set a strange precedent. Then again, the idea is you know, no intent, but intent is a very difficult thing to argue. We see it in, in college ball with targeting. How do you argue intent? Mm-hmm. What is intent? Right. So that that's that's an interesting precedent to call. But again, I mean, oh well, the race should have you know not lost fourteen to five in the previous game. But that's just I guess that's maybe them. Just a random thought. Yeah. All right, plenty to get to still on compact discourse. We've talked playoff baseball, which means we got to talk NFL football now as an entire weekend of NFL, including a game overseas and a Monday night game tonight. So lots to talk about on the docket, including, you know, the Washington football team, the Carolina Panthers, the entire cavalcade of Compact Discourse's favorite teams uh, had some trials and tribulations over the weekend. So we got to talk about all that and a whole lot more on the other side of this break. You're listening to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back in about two minutes. Welcome back to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. I'm your host, Jack Hart, joined alongside Alex Houston and Davis Carroll. As always, on Monday morning, armchair quarterback special. We are happy to have you in the booth with us for another exciting episode of the show. Of course, bottom of the hour, 8, 9.33 in the morning for those of you keeping track at home. It means it's time for your Auburn weather. 
So we're going to look at the weather. It is 73 degrees and fair, perfect autumn day out there on the plains. 81 degrees is your high today. 63 is your low. Partly cloudy, so find the sun if you're cold. Find the shade if you're hot. It's as simple as that. It's going to get up to 75 this morning. Move on over to 80 degrees this afternoon. Nice and mild for your afternoon. And then overnight temp is going to get down to 64, about where we woke up with this morning. So look forward to that. Put on a long sleeve shirt, if you please, and go enjoy the fall weather. That's going to do it for your Auburn weather report. So stay tuned to Weagle for weather reports throughout the day, if you feel so inclined. Um, plenty to get to on the show, including I've got two of the lovely hosts of, you know, Weagle's premier movie podcast sitting in the show with me today. I know they're rolling out plenty of great content for Spooky Month, so uh, we've had some great episodes in the past, looking for some great episodes in the future. I think they're recording today, actually. So, you know, I'll turn it over to host of Between the Lions, Alex Husting. How's it going? The fact that you actually hesitated because you didn't know the name and then decided, I'm going to turn it into a joke yet again, is hilarious, Jack. The way you just project intent onto me is <laughs> insulting. <laughs> I, I saw the hesitation as you were saying host of Weagle's premier movie podcast, Momentary Pause to Think yeah, of Between Name. Between the Real Lions. It's yeah, great. okay, okay. Um, we are actually uh, going on a bit of a scarier route. After last week's slasher film, Scream, we're talking about Hereditary and Midsummer. Midsummer not so scary, in my opinion, for a little sneak peek, but uh, two very popular movies uh, from director Ari Aster, who is like the new, uh, I would say he's the next big thing in horror The new horror Ridley directing. Scott. No, Ridley Scott did Gladiator. I don't know what that means. What about Alien? Mm, yeah. What about he did Alien? Alien? Oh yeah, he did do Alien, didn't he? Oh, uh, Alex, that's cool. I forgot that James. Cam- I, I I get him confused with the fact that James Cameron did the second one. Um, but yeah, I'm excited and to David talk about the third. those two movies because I had not seen either of them before. And to quote Davis, Hereditary is the only movie that gave me nightmares. It did. So. I didn't have a nightmare last night, but I will say when I was walking to get my food and it was dark. I was very on edge. I'm just saying I had every light in my room on and locked my door. Can confirm. Davis was very frightened by the pieces of plastic in my apartment last night. I thought there was somebody staring in the window. I had like, there was a little like uh, flabby piece of plastic that kept moving and I was like, wait a minute, what is that? But then I realized it was the fan in my room blowing it. So, Hmm. scary stuff. However, Jack, you need to remember the name of our show. Yes, and uh, will you tell the lovely folks where they can find your show, how to listen to it, and uh, what you've talked about in the past and future? Davis? I'll try point at me. Because I talked. <coughs> Alex the doesn't show, remember the name of the show either. But, but, but behind the Lions. <laughs> oh, my God. Is <laughs> on wherever you get your podcast. Look up through the lens. Look for the, the camera logo. Made by, designed by me. Made by a friend of the show, Jack Hart, right does, here. Who, who, you, made, who made the logo but does not remember what he... Uh, never mind. Anyway, um, yeah, we've talked about the Spider-Man, uh, Sam Raimi trilogy, Indiana Jones series, and more. A lot of spooky movies last year. Going to talk about Scooby-Doo later this month, possibly, maybe, sort of. Very excited for that. But, yeah, that's it's a pretty fun time. And Jack has joined a few times. We appreciate him, as always, as maybe a guest. Join in, maybe join in again soon. Yeah. Ooh, maybe, maybe. When we talk about the Cars franchise. Yeah. I'm so excited. The Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. Woo! Yes. I can't wait for Alex and I to yell at each other. That episode that is going to be so much fun. Um, All right. And speaking of fun, let's jump right into your oh. NFL scoreboard for today as we're going to make Alex talk about his beloved football team. Of course, kicking off on Thursday night, it was a divisional game as the Rams beat the Seahawks. Uh, They improved to 4-1. Matthew Stafford goes 25-37 of in that one, throws for almost 400 yards and a single touchdown. 
in jolly old England. It was the Falcons doing what NFL teams do best and has beat the Jets. Matt Ryan, 33 of 45 for 340 and two tutties in that one. 27-20 go the Dirty Birds over the New York Jets. In overtime, if you watch this one, it was quite the thriller. The Green Bay Packers escaped from Cincinnati with a big win, 25-22 in overtime over Joe Burrow and the Bengals. Uh, Mason Crossbar made a bit of a, a appearance as well as kicking was quite the hot commodity in Cincinnati on Sunday. The Lions find a way to do it again. They are 0-5 after dropping a big game to the Vikings, 17-19. They're 0-5 now. The Steelers stave off a late comeback from the Denver Broncos and Teddy Bridgewater. They get out of Pittsburgh, 27-19, good enough for a 2-3 record. Tom Brady and the Buccaneers run all over the Dolphins in the Battle of Florida, 45-17. The Saints come marching in to FedEx Field and beat the Washington football team by 11 points. Panthers get outscored 15-3 in the second half as Jalen Hurts and the Eagles get out of Carolina with a three-point victory, 21 18. Derrick Henry and the Titans run all over Urban Meyer's Jaguars as Trevor Lawrence throws for 273 yards and a touchdown. Jags now 0-5 as well. Patriots get out of um, Texas with a big win. It was Davis Mills, surprisingly, putting on a show, though, throwing for three touchdowns in the Texans' 22-25 loss to the New England Patriots. It was the Bears shutting down the Raiders' offense holding them to just nine points, 20-9, go the Chicago Bears over the Las Vegas Raiders. Surprising game of the week, it was the L.A. Chargers hanging 26 on the Browns in the fourth quarter, 47-42, good enough for a 4-1 record. The L.A. Chargers get a big win over the Browns. The game of the week, if you listen to the Fox Network, it was the Cowboys blowing out the Giants 44-20. Daniel Jones leaving that one with a head injury. Cardinals squeaking past a victory against the 49ers, 17-10 in those black jerseys. Hopkins and Kyler Murray connect for an impressive touchdown in that one. 17-10, of course, the Cardinals over the Niners. And then your Sunday night game last night, the Bills defense, we we figured out that they are the real deal indeed after finally facing a real offense. Bills improved to 4-1 as the defense smothers Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs. 38-20 go the Buffalo Bills over the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, looking ahead to your Monday night game is going to be the 1-3 Baltimore Colts taking on the 3-1 Baltimore Ravens. You like that? A little, little team exchange. Uh, My life is nothing but pain. Yeah. Um, Jameis Winston did beat the Washington football team. He threw for four touchdowns. It's, uh, it you know. He was also like 10 for 30. He is 15 for 30. Oh. 50% passing completion, which if you talk to Davis is impressive. So <laughs> but that, it is. Uh, the, 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 the football team goes quietly into that good night as the Saints uh, improve to 3-2 and two and uh, get a big win against the uh, WFT. I cannot say this um, enough, and I think it's important to mention this so that the people can know. Landon Collins is the worst defensive player I've ever watched in my entire life and it probably has one of the worst contracts that I've ever seen and that includes the time I saw Albert Hainsworth lay down in the middle of the field Landon Collins does does um to quote to quote um somebody who tweeted during the game he's just out there doing cardio that's just that's what he's there for he's just there running around 
getting getting in some camera angles when you know he's chasing after a guy that's twenty yards ahead of him. I mean, it's just it's just it's it's exhausting. I know, of course, you guys, Panthers fans, you guys lost to yeah a not so good team either. Equally exhausting uh, after jumping up to a fifteen to three lead. Uh, the Panthers really beat themselves on yeah. Sunday, as as much as I hate to say it. Um, they had five guys surrounding a effectively a defensive touchdown, and they somehow squeaked it back out of the end zone for a safety. So that would have been the difference in the game if you uh, if you want to play that game. But um, a fifteen to three halftime lead, or fifteen to six rather, uh, was not good enough for the Panther defense as the offense completely stalled out in the second half. And just mustered three points as the Eagles came back and won that one, twenty-one to eight. So heartbreaking if you're a Panthers fan. But you know, three and two. If if you told me the Panthers would be three and two five games into this season, I would have taken that all day. And you know, you got to take the losses when they come. So uh, I I think the the stories of the week were the Bills' defense really proven that they're the real deal as they shut down this electric. Pat Mahomes offense. I mean, the Bills had like two shutouts, you know, the 40-point win against Houston, but a lot of people were discrediting that based on, you know, Houston's got a backup quarterback, a third-string quarterback, a rookie quarterback, all this stuff about the offenses the Bills have faced, but there's no more questioning it now as Josh Allen looked MVP caliber and the Bills defense looked all pro caliber. So the Bills are probably the most complete team in the NFL right now. How on earth this team lost to the Pittsburgh Steelers to open the season, I will never understand. I just think they wanted to avoid going undefeated because they very well might be for the rest of the season. I don't I don't see a game that they lose, but somehow they lost to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mm. The Steelers, I, I just I it doesn't even make any sense to me. Do you have thoughts me. on the Steelers? Do you think do you think I think they're bad. I think after they after they beat the Bills, they didn't score above 20 until they faced the Broncos. That was three games. They didn't score above 20. I mean, I think they're terrible. I think Big Ben is 16 years past his prime, but it is what it is. They're going to be loyal to him till the end. I don't think that's the right call. I think you should see what the Ravens did and just send old Joe Flacco out to pasture. They should do the exact same and just say, all right, well, Big Ben, you can go, go be on the Texans for a year and then – you know, get some sort of investigation and mysteriously retire probably. Who knows? But I just don't think that at this point, the fact that the Bills lost them is the strange thing because I really don't think the Bills are going to lose another game this year. I think they're going to win the whole thing. So, All right. You've got the two storylines uh, coming out of Sunday. The Jags 0-5, unsurprising um, as, you know, the Jags do Jags things. Uh, Trevor Lawrence looked okay, I guess. He didn't throw an interception, which is good. Uh, they're 0-5. The other 0-5 team are the Detroit Lions, looking to become the first team to ever go 0-17 after getting that thorny crown in 2008. However, this Detroit Lions team is at least being competitive. They've uh, made a couple games interesting, including this one on Sunday. However, uh, they become the first team to ever lose back-to-back games on 50-yard-plus field goals. So, you know, it's it stings for the Lions right now. And I can't say it's going to get better. But Matt Campbell is at least fun to watch in press conferences. Indeed. And I think so, the Lions uh, certainly have a couple games they could win. However, for the Jaguars, I mean, you got Urban Meyer standing in your way, so you don't really have a chance there. Yep. Um, I think the future is a bit, just a teeny bit brighter for uh, the Lions of Detroit than uh, the Cats down in Jacks. Absolutely. So we'll, uh, we'll head to a quick break. 
When we come back, we will continue the show. Just one more segment left on this Monday morning edition of Compact Discourse. Don't go anywhere. Plenty to get to. You're listening to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. Ladies and gentlemen, this is FM 91. WEGL Open. Welcome back to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. I'm your host, Jack Hart, joined alongside Davis Carroll. Alex Houston had to hit the road to get ready for Between the Lions later on today. So we are joined by Grayson Moyer instead on this scary haunted camera for this uh, month of October. Welcome into the show, both Davis and Grayson. How are we feeling today, Davis? I know you... You were at a loss for words in the last segment, so um, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know you're working, making deals on your fantasy team. Um, Grayson, how was your weekend? How was your fall break? Uh, I spent three out of four days working, and even then on the other day, I still worked a little bit. So, it was, yeah, I'm happy with it. I like my job. I made money, but uh, it was not a super relaxing four days. Yeah, so. not relaxing at all when you're watching Auburn soccer. I know right. one of your jobs you worked at. Who took down the Tigers of LSU in overtime, one to nothing? Uh, if you listen to that game right here on WEGL, the radio home for Auburn soccer, you can hear all the home games right here on this station. But uh, Auburn soccer, big win over LSU, one to nothing on Sunday. So a uh, a good in- a good ending. We had a we had good sports moments to bookend the sad sports moment on Saturday uh, for the Auburn Tigers, and of course uh, on Thursday night we are talking. Tip off at Tumors, an event all three of us attended in some capacity or another. Um, the the premier Auburn kickoff basketball event uh, that occurs, of course, on Tumors Corner. So, Davis, were you were you enamored? Was that your first tip off at Tumors? That was my first tip off at Tumors. The last tip off at Tumors I could have gone to, I had to go to a concert for music appreciation. I will say, did you like the TikTok part? I thought it was. I thought they were having fun. It was pretty funny. Dylan Cardwell sang some Christmas songs. I thought it was fun all around. Yeah. I would have liked to see the dunk contest, but I get why they didn't do it. So I'm not. I'm not going to be mad at them about that. Like some people were. I I don't think they've ever managed to actually do the dunk contest. I think they tried it last year, and something very or the last time it happened, and something very similar happened, where they like the court got a little too slippery. Those or courts, yeah. The, the thing they they're using for a court doesn't really <laughs> seem like it'd be. That's like the cruise ship court. Yeah. You like roll out on the Lido deck, you know. It's like that waffle snap together material. Right. Not not quite a hardwood. What was the experience like actually being in the crowd? Because I was sort of backaways because I was on the crew. But was was it like you know did it have that energy to it? Do you feel like they really brought it for tip off of tumors, or were you kind of let down? It was pretty loud. I will say um, we we got we were fortunate enough to be part of the Auburn Jungle. Um, so we were able to get some really great seats behind the basket or stands. I guess plate a good sight line. Um, the sight lines were a bit, you know, it's a, you have to raise the you have the raised platform and then you have no elevated seating, so it's a bit it, unless you're right up on the rail, it's a bit tricky to see. But I'm hoping everyone was able to get a good view. But it, it was pretty loud. Um, but and we had Tiger Talk for an hour beforehand mm-hmm. uh, on the Auburn Sports Network with with Andy and Brad, um, Coach Pearl, Coach Harson, Coach Jay, 
of the ladies team and you know between commercial breaks you know band was going crazy Albie was you know getting the crowd going so it was a pretty raucous atmosphere and like when when the men's team was coming out and making their big entrances with the fire extinguishers you know I was not expecting that that was uh pretty pretty fun to watch and uh I thought it was cool how when the players would run through the smoke, the smoke would cling onto them and make like a contrail. That's cool. That that's that I had the best view of that. So maybe only I noticed that, but I think that was a uh, a lot of fun. And of course, the team was having fun, which is what's important. You know, it, it was a pep rally in all, in all in all effectiveness, and uh, I think it it accomplished its mission. And uh, Coach Pearl had fun. So well, I think that goes for any any event like this. Like the crowd is going to match the energy that the team and the coach brings, and especially when you have a character like Bruce up at the head of this, like hyping up the crowd and getting everybody excited and. The team's going to follow his path on that. So, you know, I'm glad we have the mix that we do. I don't think a lot of schools could pull it off the same way that Auburn does. Yeah, and I think I think Coach Pearl made that pretty clear. On Tiger Talk, they asked him how he feels that, you know, this this kind of event isn't going down in, in Lexington or Fayetteville or Baton Rouge or any other SEC basketball campus. And he says he, he doesn't really care. He's staying in his <laughs> lane, and he's making, uh, he's making Auburn as good as he can, and he's not going to worry about the other teams. So, I mean, there was a it was a star-studded cast on Thursday as well. We had um you know athletic director Alan Green made an appearance as well as Seth Greenberg from ESPN. So that the, the the cavalcade of surprises just kept on rolling out, including the uh, the ba- uh, the football team showing up at the end. I um, also thought Coach Harson was our was a really great presence as well. He was having a lot of fun. I feel like he he by uh and it's one thing to be the football coach, but actually coming to tip off at Tumors, that's like part of the Auburn experience. And I think he's he's uh, not coming around to, but finally getting a, a good taste of, of what it's all about here. It's one of those rare moments where we get to see him like actually in a good mood or happy or excited. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, he's allowed to be. He's a very like, he, he comes across as very like stoic and serious most of the time. Like he's, he's here to get the job done and do it right. And, you know, I appreciate that about him. But, you know, it's fun when they're able to let loose a little bit. Yeah, and I think we saw the flip side of that when uh, Coach Pearl was able to loose, let loose a little bit on Saturday for the uh, Auburn-Georgia game. We had the entire Auburn men's basketball team joined by Madison Pruitt and the one and only Cameron Jarrell Newton sitting at the front of the student section and uh, a sight to behold. I, I don't think I've ever heard uh, Jordan-Hare Stadium kick six or otherwise as loud as when Bruce Pearl and the men's basketball team uh, disrobed to begin flexing to get the, the the fans hyped up for the game against Georgia. So, you know what? One, once in a lifetime experience. I'm I'm glad I, I got to see that firsthand. Before Bruce kind of yoked. Yeah, go ahead. Bruce kind of yoked's all I had. Oh, thank you, Davis. <laughs> Before that game, I was we we knew that Bruce was going to be in the stands, and I just heard rumblings on over under of Bruce keeping his shirt on, and you know what? The over won. Yeah, it took hammer it. the over anytime. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Bruce and the entire team uh, in, a, in a synchronized fashion. Uh, uh, go on. If you want to check out the Auburn Jungle, uh, uh, the official, and now an official student organization is the official page for all student-related activities. Of course, WGL's own Jacob Hillman is your president over at the Auburn Jungle. That's at AU Jungle on both Instagram and Twitter. You can get a pretty good documentation of everything we've been talking about in this segment from Tip Off at Tumors to Cam Newton to the uh, the disrobing of the Auburn uh, men's basketball team on Saturday. <laughs> so all around, you know, from the from the marching band finally coming out of the tunnel again to the helicopters to to Bruce Pearl and the gun show. I think 
despite the loss on Saturday, there was a lot of fun to be had in Jordan-Hare Stadium. It felt like a little bit of a return to form. Things things felt like they were getting a little bit more normal, and especially, like, for me, that, that tunnel with the band is really special because I'm a band kid, sorry. But, like, getting able, being able to see that happen again was really, really exciting because that changes up pregame a lot, and I think that brings a lot of energy to it. Yeah, a ton of ener- energy. I mean, I was surprised at how loud the crowd got just for the band, you know? It's uh it's a it's a conference opener so like the students section is like in its in its peak form once again so I I think it, you know it's it's special how much the band means to Auburn mm-hmm. it it's it's something that I grew up with so I didn't really under I, I I got why the band was important at the beginning of the game but you know going to different SEC schools it means it's nothing like Auburn there's no inch, they don't I mean no other SEC school does the band get their own hype video like they do at <laughs> Auburn so. You know, they they get the added benefit of being part of the fight song, so it's it's it it's intrinsic with what they do. But I thought it was uh, it was good to see them again. That was what I missed the most after uh, last year with a uh, n- no band on the field. Right, right. So a successful weekend of Auburn athletics. We hyped it up last Wednesday, and I think everything went according to plan. Tip off at Tumors on Thursday. We had Auburn Equestrian on Friday. We had the new uh, three new statues unveiled at Tiger Walk on Friday as well. Jordan, Hare, and Die, who uh, received special mention during the game on Saturday. So if you haven't already, you can go on over to uh, the corner where Tiger Walk happens underneath the oak trees. And not only can you see the awesome Tiger statue, you can also now see the awesome Jordan, Hare, and Die statues as well, which will be a fixture of Tiger Walk from here on out. So... Auburn, once again, will be traveling to Fayetteville, Arkansas this Saturday to take on the Razorbacks of the University of Arkansas. That is going to kick off at 11 a.m. if you want to wake up to watch that one as Auburn looks to rejoin the AP poll by knocking off the number 17 Hogs on Saturday. Both teams coming off a conference loss, so both teams looking for something to prove. And uh, I think that is going to do it for your armchair quarterback special of Compact Discourse, as we love to do on a Monday morning. I want to extend a uh, good look to not only the Atlanta Braves, but also Daniel Locke, who is unable to join us this morning as he is making the trip over to Atlanta to watch this nonsensical noon first pitch in a playoff game. I thought we were done with this, but here we are. Atlanta and Milwaukee is going to have first pitch in about two hours, so uh, buckle up, get your antacids ready, because the, uh, the, the Braves are going to do their thing as uh, they always like to do. So, closing thoughts, Davis. Have you made your fantasy transaction? I've proposed three trades. I hope they go well. I really just don't want to get last. And that's the idea. Grayson, productive week ahead? Not not really. This is the first week in like oh, good. two months that I do not have a single work shift. I'm going to go home and see my dogs. I'm really excited about it. All right. Well, I'm excited for you <laughs> through the transitive property of being excited to see Grayson's dogs. I think that tracks. And I think that is going to just about do it. So we will be back tomorrow, Tuesday at 8 a.m. Thank you for listening to Compact Discourse. We will see you then. Thank you for listening to this exciting episode of Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. However you joined us today, whether that be from your terrestrial radio antenna, WEGLFM.com, or by listening to our podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. We'd like to remind you that all of our previous episodes are available as podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. 
Be sure to follow us on Twitter at CDiscAU for links to that said podcast or information about the show and important updates about the show. You can also tweet at us to get your opinion on the show. Thank you to for Harrison for weighing in on the Spencer Rattler issue earlier in the show. We love that fan interaction. You might also want to go ahead and follow the station on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. That's at WEGL underscore AU. Our hardworking team of marketing professionals is working super hard, as uh, is in the name, and uh, they want to get some content over to you. So at Weagle underscore AU for all of that. As for me, Jack Hart, Davis Carroll, Alex Houston, and station manager Grayson Moyer, we will talk to you tomorrow on the Tuesday edition of Compact Discourse. As always, this is Jack Hart signing off. Go 1-0 and War Eagle. I have in my lesson. I'm not wearing pants today.